Welcome to Mormon Happy Hour. My name is Colleen Dietz. Join me and my guests each week for an entertaining recap of the hottest topics in Mormonism. We keep tabs on social media and headline news so you don't have to. Don't miss our live pro tips as you adjust to your new and exciting post-Mormon life. Mormon Happy Hour is here to bring you the irreverent side of Mormonism, wherever you may be. Welcome to episode 40. I'm so sorry that I have a cold. I promise I will make this short. I have been really anxious to get this conversation out to you all, and I really hope that it will help us with our communications with believers in our lives. So take notes and learn some techniques and check out the links in the show notes for follow-up info. And let me know what you think of street epistemology and what you'd like to hear more info about in a follow-up conversation. And as always, the video of this conversation can be found in full on the Mormon Happy Hour Patreon page with early access and other bonus content. And if you'd like access to this content, please consider donating a few dollars each month to help me justify the time and money I devote to creating Mormon Happy Hour for you each week. It's a major hobby of mine, and I love it. And with your support, I can do even more. So without further ado, please enjoy Street Epistemology 101 with Dan Earls and Brian Stiles. Welcome to Mormon Happy Hour. I have two special guests with me today, so I wanted to take a minute to introduce. First, we have a longtime listener and supporter of the show, so thank you so much. This is Brian. Brian, do you want to, you actually contacted me with a fabulous idea, and that's why we're all here today, but I wanted to give you a chance to kind of introduce yourself. So, Brian. Thank you, and uh, I'm excited to be here. I, uh, I am also an ex-Mormon, former Mormon, foreman, however you want to label yourself. Um, also pretty new. I, we were talking earlier about how Colleen feels like she's kind of new to the world. I had my shelf break last year in September-ish or so. Oh, wow. So, yeah, and promptly found the uh, Mormon Happy Hour podcast and promptly subscribed. <laughs> um, <laughs> so a little more about me. Um, actually, I don't really know what else to say. I'm excited to be here again, and uh, I did contact Colleen with an idea for this episode to talk about something called street epistemology, and I brought my friend Dan Earls here, who's been involved in the community uh, with me, and probably more involved than I have, to be honest. That's why I brought him on, because he's more of an expert. So Dan, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you for um, inviting me on here. This is really, really awesome. Um, so yeah, I am uh, Dan. I go by Objectively Dan. Um, <clears throat> you may have seen me before. I co-host um, a podcast on street epistemology with my friend Anthony Magnabosco and Reed Nice Wonder called Epistemic. And I am the host of a brand new atheist community of Austin show called The Truth Wanted. Um, so if you're fans of shows like The Atheist Experience and Talk Heathen, um, it's being produced by the same people. Uh, we have been doing some test streams on that, but we are officially going live October 14th, right after Atheist Experience. And then we're going to switch to um, Friday nights at 6 Central um, for that. So I've, I've been working on that for a long time and I'm really excited to uh, get forward on that. But yeah, that's me. I, I'm involved with the kind of street epistemology community and I've been kind of doing this for 
not barely a year now, I think. Um, I was actually a former Christian myself. I was not a Mormon, um, but I was uh, a Christian who had an encounter with street epistemology a few years ago. And it was in part of that encounter uh, is, is the reason why I'm here today. Uh, you can learn more about that story on Anthony Magnabosco's channel on YouTube. If you just search Anthony Magnabosco, um, there is videos kind of explaining that. But yeah, that's me. And that's why I'm here today, because we're going to try to try it out and, and see what this whole method really is. So whenever Colleen is ready for that, we can try to go ahead and get started. Yeah. <clears throat> so so this is what I had in mind. So I, these two gentlemen are here to kind of demo street epistemology. I'm going to be the victim and, or I shouldn't even use the word victim because that already sets it up to be negative. So that which I was just being funny. So, um, participant, I'm going to be the participant. And, um, the reason why I was particularly interested in kind of talking about street epistemology on the, on the show after Brian suggested it is because I, I think it's a very helpful way to, it's a tool to learn to communicate with our believing friends and family members. So that's kind of, so keep that in mind when you are um, watching the demonstration and learning more is that this is something that, that I'm hoping that we can all kind of learn some tools to help us have better communication. Um, so that's, that's what I had in mind. So Dan's going to run the demo. So Dan's going to talk to me about some beliefs, whether they be supernatural or otherwise, and kind of explore things. And this is totally like cold. Like we haven't prepped it. We haven't practiced. We wanted to make it authentic for you. So they're going to explore things with me. And then after the demonstration, both Dan and Brian are going to kind of talk about how it works and their views on street epistemology. And I've done like this much research in preparation because I wanted to keep it very authentic and I wanted it to be a learning experience. So I'll kind of share maybe what I've, you know, experienced or what I, what I've learned in this much research time and kind of maybe and maybe any misconceptions I have, you guys can help kind of, well, actually, no, it's not that. So we can kind of have a good discussion afterwards. Are you guys ready? Yeah, I am. Okay. I'm good to go, too. Yay. Awesome. All right. Go ahead, Dan. <clears throat> yeah. So first, I just want, because I know that we're going to break it down and talk about it later. But I do want to say that what I'm doing here, it's, it's not like a magic trick. It's not like some sort of uh, method to get people to believe whatever you want. This is just a way of talking to people about beliefs. And it can be any kinds of beliefs. It doesn't have to be religious beliefs or um, if you are someone who says, uh, I believe that no gods exist, you know, that's something that we can talk about and examine. Uh, but Colleen, we were, we just briefly talked about before the show um, about maybe some things we could talk about. Um, and Colleen mentioned this idea of prayer. And I wanted to kind of explore that a little bit. Can you tell me more about what you mean by you said you have like this prayer belief? Yeah. So something that I've kind of held on to through my transition out of my Mormon beliefs is that I, I, I still really cling to prayer. It almost feels habitual at this point, for lack of a better term. When shit hits the fan in my life, I, I find comfort in prayer. And that's been a weird kind of thing that I've had to think through is, well, why do I still find comfort in this when you know, the general reasons why people pray is because they have belief in a higher being. So why am I praying if I'm not sure about my beliefs in a higher being? And so I've kind of 
through that, I've worked through my beliefs in a higher being. But I don't know. I don't want to get too far into an explanation. I could talk for an hour about that. But, but sure. that's, so, I, I pray for comfort, basically. Okay. So uh, besides comfort, do you think that there is anything that's actually going on in the process of prayer that, uh, for example, do you think that when you're talking, do you think that there's like an external being listening or do you think that it's just um, a personal thing? What, what's going on when you're actually praying? Um, I guess I leave a small window of possibility open that there is an external being, but it's pretty small and it isn't really even something that I think about. But I do believe that there is an internal ear listening. Yeah, sure. So, so prayer for you is kind of this, almost, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but to me, it sounds like what you're saying is it's almost like a meditative practice for you. It's kind of a comfort thing that uh, at least appears to give you like kind of a benefit. Would you say that's right? Or yeah, I would absolutely say that. And I think meditation is something that I've also used to explain my, my habit of prayer. (laughs) So what do you think is the reason why, this prayer thing works for you? Like what, what is it that when you do prayer, something's happening as opposed to when somebody else does prayer? For me, I think what's happening when I pray, um, cause usually it's during a time when, when I feel pretty out of control, something bad has happened or something, um, stressful has happened. I need some clarity of thought or some comfort um, in, in a stressful time, I think what, what's happening is that it gives me the chance to pause and to, um, maybe take a step back from the panic or the stress, whatever's happening in the situation. It gives me a chance to, to pause and to think. And cause, cause something that I, when I was, you know, an active believing Mormon, something that I really enjoyed about prayer is that it gives you the chance to kind of think about the issue and then vocalize it. And I think I, and I find great benefit to thinking through your problem. Like it forces you to think through it. And, and, and in prayer, you're taught to like ask specific questions, ask for, you know, solution, you know, present solutions and ask for approval type of a thing. And so it kind of teaches you a problem solving approach. And so I find that very useful, even if I don't, even if I don't think that anyone's listening, that's something that I find helpful is to, it allows me to pause and to process instead of just reacting. Yeah, that's interesting. So just veering just a second here, I want to know uh, your confidence that nobody's actually listening when you're doing this, are you pretty confident? Like how confident are you? If you could maybe give a scale from zero to a hundred that nobody's listening when you're doing it, mm. where would you put yourself? I think I'd still put some hope in that, in that rating. Mm-hmm. So I think my number would be a hundred's like, sure. Fifty's like, mm-hmm. meh, maybe. So I think I'd put myself at like a, 15 to 20%. So a 15 to 20% um, sure that somebody is listening or that somebody isn't listening? That somebody is. It might that be lower, than, but that's probably where I'd put my number. Gotcha. Where, where does that number come from, you think? Um, I think it comes a lot from 
habit, the entire habit of prayer. I, I, I have not yet gotten away from the rote prayer that I learned. So even though I'm saying the same words and I open and close my prayer the same way as I did when I was Mormon, I don't believe it's going anywhere. So, but, but I just haven't taken the time to find another way. And I, and I, it feels hokey to be like, um, you know, dear inner goddess of Colleen, like that just feels so stupid to me. <laughs> and mm. I haven't come up with anything else to say. So I'm still saying the same thing because I feel like it doesn't matter what I'm saying. What matters is what I'm doing. Gotcha. So if you were to like kind of stop praying Mm -hmm. for a bit, you know, a week or two uh, or a month, I don't know how often you actually pray. (laughs) It's probably Uh, a couple times tops. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think that would affect your belief um, in some sort of, um, higher being at all if you stop the process at all do you think that that has any correlation no not at all okay interesting so sounds like you have I mean you have this practice that helps you think about things it kind of helps you straighten your life out it gives you a lot of comfort and there's kind of a little bit of hope there that maybe somebody is listening and you know somebody's out there but like you don't really have a name for that being if it's out there or or no. And understanding, but that's like, okay. Interesting. And, and I don't really care. I'm pretty apathetic about it. I don't spend a lot of time thinking mm-hmm. about it. Nice. So what do you think would be a reason somebody would give? Well, let me, let me rephrase this. So <clears throat> you have this belief that prayer does something really like good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it like comforts you in some way. Mm-hmm what do you think would be a way that we could figure out whether or not that belief is true? For example, do you think that, like I was kind of going at before, if, if we stopped praying for a bit and if we, if you kind of gave up this habit, do you think it would affect your life um, in a way that we could kind of figure out together? Like uh, do you think it would affect your mood? Do you think it would affect like events happening in your life? Does the, does prayer actually affect, you know, those kinds of outcomes? I think it does but maybe not in a supernatural way. I think it would, it would impact um, my, my, I use it as a coping skill. So I think if I stopped doing that and didn't find a way to replace it, something to replace the habit, then I think that in a moment it would definitely affect me, especially like the, the, and maybe this is why I've kind of held on to it is because like when I get in those moments of panic and high stress, I'm like, Okay, this isn't the time for me to have like a, a again a faith crisis and like a, a a conflict totally separate from what's happening to be like okay I can't pray right now because no one's listening so what do I do instead to you know cope with all this feeling and so I feel like if I stopped praying that that would cause more conflict than than okay. it, it would have to be a very deliberate thing and a planning ahead and finding a replacement. So if if I could give you another method to kind of deal with some of those feelings, like if I could, for example, show you, oh, here's this Buddhist meditation you could try out um, that's like completely secular, and it gave the same exact effects you were describing as far as a sense of peace and a you know a sense of focus. Mm-hmm. Would that affect your your practice at all? Would you change the way that you did things or? I think I would. I think I would. I, 
one thing that I do keep in mind, like you, t- you asked about an external being listening. Mm-hmm. And I think something that, that I have kind of used to explain my process and feel good about what I'm doing is that I've, and kind of as a rejection of a lot of the patriarchal God figures and tropes of Mormonism, something that, that I visualize in my mind is that I'm praying to an inner goddess who is the female perfected me. And so, and, and she, she's all powerful. She's all knowing she's, she's there to comfort me and to give me clarity of thought. And so like, that's something that I believe in. I don't really know what to call that. Again, I don't really know theological terms, but even if you taught me a secular thing, I think I'd still like to hold on to that inner inner goddess belief because I, it gives me strength. Got it. Okay. So that's really interesting. So there is something that is kind of holding you to this belief of prayer mm-hmm. because of this internal belief in not necessarily something external, but something maybe we could call, I don't know if you want to call it supernatural, but something beyond regular perception, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. So it it almost sounds like to me that this, I, I don't call it a God belief, if you don't mind. It, <laughs> it sounds kind of like a God belief to me. Mm-hmm. Maybe you disagree. But it sounds like that this God belief actually does affect the way that you pray or mm-hmm. the reason why you believe in prayer. Yeah. Kind of more so than before. Yeah. Yeah, it does. So would you, would you, would you say that the confidence level that you gave me that you're praying to something that's out there, would you say that's changed at all? Well, that scale was determined on an external listener. External. Okay. That's the same. I have not something internal. Okay. So that's a different thing for you. This internal thing is kind of, okay. Interesting. Gosh. Okay. So that kind of opens up another avenue of questions that we could go down. And I don't know how much longer you want to do this for, but if we could just do a couple more minutes, I'd love to explore that because mm-hmm. that's kind of, like I said, this was, we didn't plan this at all. This is kind of a, a thing for both of us to kind of try and see. Um, and I've never had a conversation with an ex Mormon before. So this is also <laughs> a new, uh, a new thing for me, what that looks like. But that's so interesting that you talk about this internal being that has like this, the, that kind of guides your life in a way. Mm-hmm. Do you know of a way to, so like, it, I mean, if, do you, do you care at all whether it, it's actually true? Do you care if it actually like, when I say true, I mean like exists in reality or do you think this is like some sort of, you know, perception or could be like a perception in the mind of some sort? Um, I think it's something that I choose to believe. So I think it's something that I have choose. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So, gosh, so you know that it's like a, do you know that it's a created belief or do you like, are you like reasonably confident that it is or? I mean, I know that it's a, let's see, that's, that's kind of an interesting question because that really makes me think, is it a created belief or is it something that I believe in? Cause I feel like those are, those are pretty different. And that's what you're trying to get to the root of. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, do I actually literally believe that it's real or mm-hmm. do I, do I, am I, am I aware that I have created the belief? 
<laughs> I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know. That's probably something that it would be a good, like, what's your scale? Cause it's not something, obviously it's not something I'm sure of because it's something that I've kind of, it's a, it's a creation that I've used to rationalize and explain why prayer still works for me. And, and it's kind of a, a, call, a callback to um, me finding my, my authenticity and my own um, female power that, that I feel like I didn't have as a Mormon. So, so maybe I could even say like, yeah, I'd say that 75% of it's created and maybe 25% I hold that it's real and that I do have something powerful inside of me, whether that's divine or eh, I don't know, but that's, I mean, I, I think, yeah, yeah, I, I, I believe, yeah, I would say I 100% believe that I have something inside of me. I think everyone does that we can, mm-hmm. we can access when we need strength. So yeah, I have 100% belief in that. So let's, you use this word real, uh-huh. that it's 25% real. What do you mean by real? real that I really have something powerful within me like okay I don't know so I'm wondering so so is this something that you think we could actually measure because when I think of the word when I'm using real Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of something that's kind of external kind of like we were talking about earlier Mm -hmm. about something that people can kind of look at do you think that this is a something that people can look at or do you think it's something else I don't think anybody could possibly look at it no mm, okay so it's like completely internal not really accessible to anyone else yeah interesting okay and and that kind of and, and that kind of correlates with what you're saying that it's kind of it might be this created belief mm-hmm. that it, it's not yeah okay Oh, so I'll try to kind of just to wrap things up here. Mm-hmm. If you have this belief and you know that it's created or at least mostly created, maybe not all the way, when you use it, are you, are you, are you using this belief pragmatically or do you use it because when I say use, I mean, you're praying to it, right? It's giving you some sort of, real value does the fact that it gives you a sense of peace and and all these other values matter more than the belief actually being true Hmm. does the so you ask do the benefits it gives me mean more to me than whether it's true or not yeah do you actually care if it's actually true i guess no at the end of the day no because Hmm. i use it as you know a coping skill if you will uh and and coping skills is i don't know if i like that i use it as um a meditative practice to help me problem solve and find peace and solutions and comfort in my life so whether whether my 100 percent belief that i am praying to an inner goddess and that i have some inner power within me is true or not doesn't it wouldn't affect the results I'm getting because I was doing it before I even kind of had that created thought and it still gave me benefit. Got it. Okay. Well, that was great. Thanks for talking (laughs) to me about your beliefs, Colleen. That was fun. All right.
so I think now that we've kind of finished the role playing situation, um, I want to give Dan an opportunity to explain like 101, very basic, um, what is street epistemology? Maybe give us some tools and you can listen, you can remember the techniques that he used as he kind of explains the techniques and then both Dan and Brian, and then we can kind of move on to more of a, a how you feel about street epistemology, how it's been useful in your life. And Brian, you can probably give us a lot more insight into how you've been able to use it in, in a, a Mormon setting specifically. Does that sound good? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you're wondering what the heck was going on, why it sounded like I was asking all these meandering questions, what I was trying to do was this thing called street epistemology, which is a method of communicating to people about their beliefs. Um, and it's a way of people for people to reflect on the beliefs that they already have without necessarily imposing your own beliefs or uh, constructing or, or validating whether the beliefs they hold are actually true or not. It's more of an investigative tool to kind of help people um, talk about why they believe what they believe. So this conversation was really interesting because um, I never talked to anybody who had a kind of a belief like that before. And also being that you are a, you know, a podcast host and you've had tons and tons of conversations with religious people and these kinds of religious things, you, your vocabulary was very uh, good at explaining the specifics of your beliefs and kind of your thought processes behind them. So in a way I'm kind of having to catch up cause it's like, Oh, okay. You're kind of giving me all this different information. And so I would say that this definitely wasn't a super typical conversation, but it was still very interesting. Uh, before I go any more on that, what did you think of that? Um, I, I enjoyed that it was, um, and this is something that I've enjoyed about the little I've learned about street epistemology is that when it's done correctly, it's not confrontational that it's not, you don't, you don't put, you don't put any judgment in your questions. You are pretty genuine in your exploration and trying to understand. So, um, so yeah, I, I feel like it went, it went well. I was able to express myself and, and that's something that I think that is, is very, good about street epistemology is that it allows both parties or at least the party being questioned to really in explore their beliefs and put them in words and, and I think that's a really and as long as they're being received well and respected I think that's a really cool experience so that I enjoyed I it's really funny that you think that I explained it well because I felt like I bumbled through it and didn't know what to do or say or how to explain my, my beliefs so thank you so so, well, that's very interesting that you say that because uh, for me, the goal of street epistemology is to have people reflect on things that they had on their beliefs and, and maybe contemplate things that they haven't thought about before. I definitely um, did that. And, okay. So, so that to me, and as soon as you said like, Oh, I'm not sure, or I don't know to me as someone who's doing street epistemology, that's the best answer I could ever hope to receive. Nice. So the, the goal of this conversation wasn't to be like, oh, you're wrong and let me give you X, Y, and Z why you're wrong. It's more like, huh, I've kind of thought about this a little more. 
I may need to change my confidence on this belief. I may need to think about a few more things. And because sometimes when we have these conversations about beliefs, you may not need to change your confidence. You may have gone over all the reasons why you believe in, and you have the, you know, the same confidence you did before. And that's great. Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm not trying to necessarily change your mind. I'm trying to help you think about it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm glad to hear that maybe hopefully we covered some ground that you might want to think about more later on. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and maybe, you know, you want to, have a future kind of conversation with this, maybe your answers will change. Maybe your confidence on some of your answers will change. <laughs> and for me, that's the goal of these kinds of conversations. So it's kind of very different from a lot of different methods of talking to people. And it takes a lot of patience, as you can tell. Mm -hmm. uh, but I found it to be incredibly helpful and just really interesting. Uh, it, it gets you get to know people a lot better um, and have a lot more productive conversations, in my opinion. But maybe Brian can tell you a little more about that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so for similar reasons that have been explained, I found it useful just for even just having conversations. Um, my my wife is actually still Mormon. And so you can imagine uh, there are certain topics that can be a little difficult to talk about. Um, and I have found that especially the method of asking questions and trying to get down to the core belief of what people are actually saying. Um, you've probably noticed that Dan, he asked, you know, a lot of clarifying questions when Colleen uh, talked about, uh, okay, so you mentioned this inner goddess. Let, let's talk about that a little more. What, what is that? And he tried to really drill down and, I think Colleen did a great job of kind of explaining and figuring out. Um, and you'll also notice that she said, I, I, that's a great question. I need to think about that a little more a couple times. Um, and that is ultimately um, not, and I don't necessarily always want to make someone else think that, but when people ask me questions like that, I get excited because I'm, like, oh, I have, I, I need to think about that more. This is something about me that I can start to um, flesh out to myself because I just never thought to think about it in that way. Um, and I'm not sure if I had another point to go after that. Um, I did want to mention that the method of dialogue leans heavily on something that you might have vaguely remember, you might vaguely remember hearing in high school called Socratic questioning. Um, I remember hearing about that, but I guess my education wasn't uh, advanced enough to really dive into that. I didn't ever actually take a philosophy class at any point ever. So this was something that I was like, oh, I, I've heard about those and I kind of know what it is, but seeing it in practice is, was kind of exciting for me. Um, in addition, yes, just in using this with my friends and family, uh, Whenever someone brings up something in politics or religion, uh, I lean one way. And whenever someone who's leaning a different way brings up something, you know, the initial reaction was want to be you want to be like, er, no, it's this for this reason, and you know, blind you with evidence. Um, but I found that taking a step back, asking them deeper questions about their belief, not only do will you find that it's less contentious? But I found a lot of the times that what they originally said, they 
usually don't actually believe that. Their belief is much more nuanced. Um, you know, and they throw out a meme level uh, statement, which when you start to dig deeper, and I'm thinking right now about politics mostly, um, they're like, oh yeah, well maybe I'm not so hardline about this. And yes, there are plenty of exceptions and uh, you find you agree a lot more than you don't. Um, so that's kind of my uh, thoughts on it so far. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, briefly, I can explain kind of what I'm doing here or like what I'm trying to get at when I'm having these kinds of conversations. So really when we think about people's beliefs, they're usually, and, and sometimes they don't, but a lot of people will have at least one or two reasons as to why they believe what they believe. Uh, so the first thing we're trying to figure out before we even get to those reasons are, of course, what those beliefs are. And this conversation was kind of interesting because I found out a belief that you had about something that we didn't necessarily clarify on until later on in the conversations. Because at first, I kind of wanted to talk to you about prayer. And I guess I, I kind of brought in my own cultural assumptions and made this, I don't know if I, I maybe made the assumption necessarily, but that the framework I was working on was, oh, your prayer is the Abrahamic sense where it's like maybe it's a prayer to an external, you know, God being, but we quickly figured out that it wasn't just a secular prayer either. It was like something else entirely. It was something internal, some sort of image. Um, and so that kind of changes the parameters on things when you kind of figure that out. But first, I want to figure out what it is you mean by prayer, what it is you're praying to, what kind of effects that might have on the world. Um, and then after we kind of establish that groundwork, we're going to the kind of lower on this, uh, what's called the belief triangle, which is the what, why, and how. We've established the what. Now we're going into the why. So like, what is the reason why you have this belief? And you mentioned all kinds of stuff. And this is why this conversation was really great because you really thought this out. You're like, well, you know, you come from an ex-Mormon background. Uh, you, you've used this before and it's helped you in situations where it's kind of given you a sense of peace and comfort. So like there's all kinds of reasons why you have this belief that prayer is a real thing that's working in your life and it's actually doing something. So I say good on you, good for that. But the next part we have to look at is the how. And that's when we're talking about kind of the method questions. And that can sometimes come up in the form of scenarios, like when I'm asking you, well, if I had a separate way of doing what you're doing, but it came up with the same results, would you, you know, go to those methods instead? Or do you think that the methods you're using actually correlates with the God belief that you have at all? Uh, if we could discover that um, praying to a milk carton would give you the exact same results as what you're doing now, would that affect your belief about this internal being? You know, um, so there's lots of ways you can kind of explore and, and the system is kind of open. So what that means is I don't have a specific script that I'm necessarily working on to get the kind of same results every time because it's going to change on people's beliefs. So sometimes it takes a little bit of improv. Um, as, as you can see, I was kind of struggling a little bit with that there um, because this was such a different conversation than what I'm used to. Uh, but I think you would agree with me, maybe Colleen, I don't know, maybe you disagree that we had a pretty productive conversation and that we were able to talk about stuff 
that hopefully maybe you hadn't considered before. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was very enlightening. It, it gave me the opportunity to really think deeply because you ask some, some really pertinent questions. Like, you know, basically if you gave me another way to accomplish the same thing, would it affect my belief? And you asked me if my belief changed, would I still continue to do it or something like that? And I'm like, mm -hmm. I have never thought about those, both of those things. So it gave me the opportunity to kind of like take a step back and explore. And, and I, and I do want to say that I think, I think your approach, you're, you are very kind, you are very approachable, you're humble, and that makes a lot of difference in my ability and willingness to open up and, and be able to explore. So I think that's really important. So, so I'm grateful for both your, your, your own person, the, the, the you that you put into your questioning, and, and your, your humble approach to asking questions. I think that's really, really important and effective. I really appreciate that. Uh, I think one thing that I personally try to focus on and I always try to recommend other people is look at how much of myself I've tried to remove in having this conversation with you. So that I, I didn't talk about any of my beliefs. I could be a Hindu. I could be a Muslim. I could be a Christian. I could be an atheist. I could think that uh, prayer is the best thing in the world, or I could think that prayer is a bunch of baloney. Mm -hmm. um, but none of that matters in the conversation that we just had. And I'm not trying to show you these facts and evidences either that would try to contradict what you're saying. I think that's a, uh, something that people make the mistake of doing. They try to bring up these kinds of contradictions to people that say, oh, well, look at, well, this scientific research says that what you're saying is wrong because of this, this, and that. But if the person doesn't have their beliefs based on scientific research in the first place, mm -hmm. then what you're saying doesn't actually matter to them at all. We right. kind of make these kinds of assumptions about what's going to be convincing to people and what's going to, you know, uh, change people's minds when really we should be asking those questions directly and saying, okay, well, what is the criteria that you have set up for this belief? What, what led you to have this belief? That's why I'm asking about your reasons and your methods because uh, if we don't meet in the middle somewhere that we're just going to be talking past each other. Right. Right. Exactly. So do you want to give us some, uh, some pointers on how to you how, how maybe our listeners my listeners can. Okay. So you have the what, why, and how, and the how talks about mm -hmm. methods and scenarios. Do you want to give mm -hmm. us a little like step-by-step -step, briefly, like how to incorporate this into your life? Absolutely. So um, if you look up street epistemology on YouTube, you're going to see conversations people are having where they actually go out on the street talking to people about their beliefs. Um, and you don't have to do that at all. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people who see that, they think that that's what it is. And, and that's not true at all. What it is, is it's a method that you want to be able to use anywhere at any time. The reason why we like to do it on the street and show conversations with strangers is because we like to show off that the method can work with lots of people and that it attempts to be as objective as possible. But really uh, what this method is great for is conversations that just happen in your daily life mm -hmm. with your friends and family. Um, and it can almost be kind of a self-defense technique of sorts. And what I mean by that is instead of trying to get your personal emotions and feelings involved when somebody says something that might be different from what you believe, you can kind of use this method to kind of 
deconstruct what somebody is saying and have a conversation about things you didn't think you could have conversations about. For example, I know that both of you guys are like me where you have friends that are religious, right? Um, and so maybe you'll say something to them and they'll say something like, well, I'll pray for you. Now, like to you and me, that doesn't really mean anything, right? We don't hold the belief that um, those kinds of prayers at least have an effect on our lives. So rather than saying, uh, yeah, I'll think about you, right? Or just, you know, being sarcastic or dismissive or just being polite and not saying anything at all. That's a conversation starter. So you can kind of say, oh, that's interesting. What do you mean by prayer? <laughs> what do you mean when you say that you're doing that? Or what do you think that, you know, this is going to do? Do you think that, uh, you know, if I pray that they make a difference or if other people pray? I mean, you, it's a great way to just kind of just launch into something. And that's, of course, just one example. But anytime somebody is talking about something that they believe to be true or make claim to know something, I, it, that's a, a perfect way to kind of launch into a conversation, of course, with as much respect and decency as possible. Uh, again, just by asking questions and not putting forth necessarily your own point of view. Although, I mean, there's no stopping you from saying that you can't, but uh, in my opinion, a lot of times when we do, it, it kind of distracts from kind of the, the bigger point what we're trying to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Brian, did you have any... Um maybe some how to on how you've maybe had success or what you've learned in trying to incorporate street epistemology with an LDS population? Um, yeah. So, and I'm going to bring in a little bit of what I learned when I was a salesperson for like two months as a security salesman, because that's what Mormon return missionaries do. But, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> And I know that's going to potentially turn people off. So I do this at my own peril. <laughs> but one of the things uh, I remember them kind of trying to train us to do, and I was actually never very good at, is pushing past what they called smoke screens. Uh -huh. So when you're at someone's door and trying to sell them this product that they really don't want, and I don't blame them because I didn't really want it either, mm -hmm. um, they would throw up some, oh, well, I, I don't know if I have the money right now. Um, and some of these people were like in multi-million dollar houses. They had the money. You knew that this was just something they were throwing out there to get you off their door. Um, and honestly, now I would probably get off their door. But um, when it comes to their beliefs, sometimes people, they throw out certain reasons that may or may not be the ultimate reason for that belief. And so that's why you'll notice Dan, he had a couple times, he's like, well, okay, so you have this reason for your belief. If we took that away, would your belief change? Um, so let's just for a generic talking about traditional prayer. Okay, so you believe in prayer because uh, one time you prayed and you um, started feeling better just mentally. Say, yeah. okay, so if let's say you pray another time and you don't start to feel better mentally, would that affect your confidence in the ability of that prayer or, you know, in the source of that prayer? Would you still believe that prayer works? Um, That's good. I like that. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes they will say, yes, I think my confidence would go down. And if their confidence go down, you know that you have a true reason for their belief. Other times they'll say, uh, no, I don't, I don't think that would actually affect my belief in prayer at all. And so that's when you say, okay, well, there must be something else that's kind of the foundation of this belief, your reasons, the uh, why. We're still the why, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can kind of use these questions to get to the core of someone's belief and actually talk about that and examine it and kind of push past any uh, smoke screens that, and it's not like they're intentionally trying to deceive you. I think we all just naturally be like, well, this, you know, usually it's, they haven't really thought about it. So they're kind of testing out these reasons themselves. Um, So it's like, well, maybe this is a reason. So they throw that out there. And so you open that box, look at it and say, okay, is this an actual reason? And with that, confidence scale you can say oh maybe it is or it isn't but something that i wanted to kind of specific to mormonism when you were talking and this could be a a universal thing with amongst other religions i just don't have experience with it but when you're talking about smoke screens what comes to mind with me when having conversations about religion with lds folk is a lot of the smoke screens that they throw up we learn in church we learn those responses to say And so I think it's a lot of rote conditioning that's coming out that you you've heard these things before because we all grew up in the church together. We've heard these things. And, and once you kind of eliminate those smoke screens, like you were talking about something that, that I have, you know, and this may be universal to Christian populations. So that's what comes out in Mormons when you ask about their beliefs. And so I think what's really important about this is that it asks them, it, it, it eliminates that smokescreen, and it asks them to actually consider their beliefs, which I think is something that a lot of Mormon people don't do because it's not encouraged. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of LDS people would argue that fact, but since I lived the experience, I know that you are given your spoon fed answers instead of being encouraged to have your own authentic thought. And so that's what, why I like uh, uh, this street epistemology approach is it because it forces them to think for themselves. It forces them that once you remove these smoke screens and these rote responses, it forces them to think. So yes. you know, maybe you can speak to that, Brian, a little bit, like in terms of speak, you know, talk, your experience in talking to, to Mormons, but that's something that I thought of when you were talking about smoke screens. Yeah, and I I will say for a lot of Mormons, my former self included, um, I would have, you know, some generic apologetics out there. Oh, yeah, like Joseph Smith, there were X and X or eight and three witnesses and um, no one of none of them ever recanted. Mm -hmm. And this and I would ask, well, okay, let's say that one of them did recant. Yes, I was going to do this to you guys <laughs> before you picked it up. I was like, what's the Mormon thing I could try to get in at? Yeah. Um, what if one of them did recant? And my former Mormon self would say maybe a little mm. bit, but no, that's not the... And ultimately, I would have gotten down to that. Uh, what I, I personally think most Mormons bank on and the church banks on most is that 
testimony when you prayed and you felt that feeling about the Book of Mormon. Um, and then we could dive into examining that. Mm -hmm. um, Our feelings are a reliable method of determining what's true, what's not true. Yeah. Yeah. So Some simple stuff, but it's stuff that people don't consciously think about or aren't encouraged to think about. So that's why I always encourage don't make as little assumptions as possible because the simplest things you can say to people or ask to people can be the most profound questions you can have in your conversations with other people. Mm -hmm. um, and I also want one of the other tips I wanted to point out is that you should be listening and letting them pause and think a lot. If they are, you know, sitting there, you know, with their eyes up or kind of hand on their chin like this, um, just, just let them sit there. Because we just naturally as social beings we want to kind of jump in and maybe clarify or kind of give them an answer. Mm -hmm. Just let them think about it um, and be extremely patient. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Earlier, Dan um, asked a question which was really impactful to me in my transition. Um, he said, Are you had that feeling. Is that a reliable method to determine truth? If someone else has that feeling about a different uh, set of facts and you have that feeling about your set of facts, it, how can you tell the difference? Um, and so those kinds of questions that would have, I don't know why no one ever asked me any, I just kind of, Oh, feeling good. We're good to go. Testimony done. Mm -hmm. Um, and it kind of blows my mind thinking back that I never stopped to think, wait, everyone has told me this is how you determine that God exists or that this is the right religion. But let me think about this for a little while. Like, is that reliable? Like, can I use this to, can other people use this to come to a different conclusion? And mm -hmm. if so, how do I know that I've come to the right conclusion? Um, and I guess we're, I don't know. I'm trying to derail a little, but no, <laughs> that's exactly the kinds of thought processes that go on when we kind of have these conversations, which makes it really, really effective. Um, like I said, there's no counter apologetics being done. You don't have to study all kinds of philosophy and religion views and all kinds of stuff because everything that I need to know when you're having these conversations, you're telling me. Everything I needed to know about Colleen's belief is what she's willing to at least tell me um, in these kinds of conversations. And I think that speaks to the effectiveness of this method because I think for a lot of people, we, we try to do it a completely opposite way because we're trying to show people what's convincing to us. And, and we don't realize that what's convincing to us, and especially now, in the, if you show me the things that's convincing to me now, uh, to who I was five years ago, I, I wouldn't even find that convincing. And I'm the same person because our beliefs and how we understand how we got to our beliefs change over time as well. So I think it, it just is a good way to just get back to basics and conversations and also to improve relations with people because I know, and I know that you guys know because you've had conversations with people about religious beliefs that have gone sour <laughs> because we, we don't always keep our cool and we don't always um, treat the beliefs with the 
uh, level of care that they deserve. Yeah. When you get to talk about, if, you know, Dan was asking me questions and I get to just talk about myself, I'm going to like Dan a lot for some reason <laughs> because I got to talk about myself and he mm -hmm. listened. We love that as humans. Yeah. And I'm not trying to expose anybody. I'm not trying to say, look how dumb this person is. Um, I don't have, I don't have that kind of intent in me because if I was really trying to do something like that, I would go around and turn around and say, oh, look how, look at this person. Let me, let me break down. Here's the top 10 reasons why Colleen was super wrong about mm -hmm. what you just said. You know, there, there's no reason to do that. And the change didn't come from me telling Colleen what's different or, or what she should think about. The change comes from her honestly considering the questions that I'm asking mm -hmm. and deeply reflecting on, on what's going on in her own mind. Um, so it's hard to see that sometimes, especially if you're not actually in the conversation. Um, but, uh, in my personal experience, because I was someone who was on the other side of the conversation, it can do wonders for your thought process and it can give you, uh, so much to think about. Sorry. I don't know if we actually mentioned much. Dan, um, at some point ran into Anthony Magda Bosco, who's kind of, the most prominent YouTuber who does street epistemology. He actually, when he was a Christian, ran into Anthony Nabasco on uh, campus. Which campus? Uh, I was in college at San Antonio, um, and that was in 2015. So not even that long ago. Yeah, and I, I know you said it wasn't the only reason that you kind of deconverted from Christianity, but it kind of affected yeah so uh, I always make sure to tell this every single time because I don't want SE to be this like fix all cure all to whatever ailments of beliefs you might have uh, there's no method out there that exists like that I'm sorry human beings are a lot more resilient as we should be I would be very very concerned if somebody completely changed their entire worldview through just one conversation um, but what it did was it was a stepping stone because it gave me the language and the tools to consider beliefs from a perspective that I hadn't previously considered. Um, and even if I was a Christian, after, and, and by the way, I was still a Christian after that conversation for a year and a half. So I, it wasn't that I just kind of dropped everything at once, but my beliefs were beginning to change. And if I became a Christian again today, I would say that I would still want to know the answers to the questions that were asked of me and I would definitely still have a different approach to how I uh, approach my own beliefs in general, how I approach other people's beliefs. So it's a win-win. <laughs> you were going to say Colleen? I think this is something that like you guys are talking about really positive experiences that you have either experienced or witnessed with street epistemology. Um, and in my very brief research, I did watch a few, um, videos and and of course i've reflected on my own horribly uh executed conversations with believers in my own life and um I, i've seen both street epistemology and obviously my own conversations go very very badly and that's why i think that this is a technique that you're not going to go out and be a pro at and have great conversations right off the bat but this is something that we um i think I think you need to practice it and you need to practice like you talked about at the very beginning after you and I talked, Dan, is that you, you removed yourself 
And I think that's really important. And then how, what Brian talked about is you make it about the other person and you listen to them and who doesn't like being listened to. And so if you can really kind of incorporate both of those techniques to, you know, to remove yourself, to listen and take the time to let them respond, don't feed them answers. And, and then like, I, I did watch one street epistemology where, um, the, he, he, he challenged the guy. It was really, it was, it was really meaningful to me. It was really short. And the guy was like, totally a believer in God. And he asked him something to, to basically that made him in his mind, challenge his own belief in, in a God. And immediately the, the guy, like just, he freaked out and you could tell that he was, that his own belief was challenged and the, the gentleman asking the questions, like I could tell in his wording, and this was like, ah, you, you can't, if you're going to have a good conversation, you can't do that. And he would, just his tone and the way he would address him about, so you believe in this belief in God. Like you can tell that he didn't believe in God and that was coming out in this question. And I'm like, you got to back off on that because it immediately made the guy get defensive. And his, the, 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 the man being interviewed, his response was like, I can't question my God. Like that's a cardinal sin. And I'm like, Oh, I remember, I remember when I used to believe that I remember when I used to like, that was one of the, um, like Brian, you can help me out. You used to be Mormon. Like you're, you're denying your God and you're, you're denying the Holy ghost. And that's like son of perdition. You yeah, can't do that. one of that's basically the worst sin you can have denying the Holy ghost, uh, mm -hmm. according to Mormonism. Um, of course, then there's, you know, apologetics will hedge and hem about what that actually means, but <laughs> technique is really important because it kind of teaches you to remove yourself and, and allow people to move forward. And, and even though it was being poorly executed, I could tell even in that short conversation that ended poorly, that it was still causing him to think. Mm -hmm. So even though it didn't end well, because it didn't, it, you know, there were some execution problems, it still was effective. So, go ahead, yeah, Jim. and you, yeah, you can definitely tell um, sometimes when people are going to think about stuff for a little while, um, and it's interesting when you can watch videos on YouTube of people doing SC where they actually have follow-up conversations with people, uh -huh. and how much differently sometimes people will approach um, their own beliefs and and um, how they talk about it with others after the first conversation. So it's cool to see that change. What I was going to say was. Uh, you mentioned this idea of, of practicing it and mm -hmm. you know, having a sense of patience for it because I hear this from people all the time. This is like one of the number one things I hear from people is, wow, I think it's really cool what you're doing, but I could never do that because I don't have the patience for it. <laughs> and to me, that's just like, okay, well, you know, if you want to have conversations with people, about beliefs. And if you really truly believe that SE is a good way to do it, maybe even one of the better ways to do it, wouldn't you want to actually put the time into it to kind of learn and do things better? Because, and I'm not saying that people have different motivations for conversations or they're not being honest about why they don't want to do it, or that I should even pressure people to even do it, because there should be plenty of different ways and methods of people should approach conversations. But I do think that sometimes people just really like the entertainment value that comes out of having conversations about beliefs. And 
we come approach a mindset of being belittling or being above people with beliefs that are different than ours. And that comes from a place of, you know, I mean, all three of us here can attest to that, but we've all had bits of anger <laughs> and bits of frustration with talking to other people who view differently than us. And sometimes that can color the way that we talk to people. Um, and I think that's unfortunate, but, but what's even more unfortunate is if we don't learn from what that does to us and how that affects us. And if we don't do anything about it, uh, because you can be completely right about everything you're saying and everything you can be saying is absolutely true and you can demonstrate it in every single way, but there's a difference between being right about something and being convincing. And if you don't, parse that out then you're never going to change people's minds because nobody likes the guy that's right all the time but people like the person that's willing to listen to what you have to say even if it's wrong so i, I like how you said you know you're not you're not going to change anybody's mind and, and things like that i think it, it it caused me to think about what is our root cause for engaging in in street epistemology are we trying to change people's minds? Um, are we trying to understand them? Are like I think it's really important to explore that. One of the videos that I watched about street epistemology that kind of turned me off at the beginning is it talked about how the purpose of street epistemology was to plant seeds of doubt that were going to work in believers to dismantle their beliefs. And then it showed like a percentage scale of people that engaged um, as a believer, and then like, you know, down the road, how many people stop believing? And I was like, well, I don't like that. Like that to me does not embody respect. Like if I'm going to engage in street epistemology for the sole reason of planting seeds of doubt, I'm not going to approach it respectfully because that means that I want to dismantle their belief and I want to prove them wrong ultimately. And so I didn't, I didn't like that. And, but the more videos that I watched and especially engaging with you, Dan, I feel like you have a much more respectful uh, uh, root intention. And I think that's important to explore on, on an individual basis with all of us is what is our root intention? Because it's going to affect how we execute street epistemology. Yeah, um, I can talk about that first. And I think Brian should also um, talk about why he does it, but for me, it's the same reason why I might use the scientific method to understand things about the world because the method has shown to me to be reliable in producing uh, descriptions and overall just general information about uh, my observations. So I'm using SE as a method to explore beliefs um, because I find that it's a reliable way to talk about beliefs um, and get as much information and as, as much productive conversation out of it uh, more so than I would with, say, a debate format mm -hmm. or, say, you know, other kinds of ways that people kind of engage in these things. So to me, SE is about reflection. And the reason why I say that is because I'm constantly using SE not just with other people but with my own beliefs um, and uh, navigating my own life. So it's, this, it's a tool that should be used for yourself just as much as you're using it for anybody else. Um, there are some people that think of SE as an evangelism tool, and I don't think that that's necessarily true because, to, in my mind, evangelism is trying to convince somebody of an idea of being true 
right? It's like, okay, I need you, Colleen, to understand that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior, and I'm going to keep talking to you about it and keep showing you all these reasons why until you believe that that's true. Like, that is my goal if I'm evangelizing with you. Whereas, if I'm doing an SE approach, I just want to know if you've really reflected about what you believe and why you believe. And I might agree with you. I might hold the same beliefs, and I do that with people all the time. But you'll notice that two people can believe in the same thing for completely different reasons. Mm -hmm. And one reason might be way better than the other reasons, um, but we won't figure that out until we've actually explored it. So I say if we're going to have conversations about beliefs anyway, which is what we do, why not use the best method possible that gives us the best kind of results? So. Yeah, that's why I do SE. I can't speak for everybody else um, that does it, but uh, to me, I think that that's sufficient. Yeah. Brian, what do you think? Yeah, I would say that uh, it seems like a lot, you know, you can come to using SE and your core motivations don't have to be the same. Like you can have your own reasons for doing it. Mm -hmm. And some... I wouldn't even say some are more valid than others. Just I would consider for me some more valid than others, but I don't know. I don't think there's really a right answer necessarily. Um, Some reasons might offend people a little more than others. Like you didn't like the desire to just create doubt in people. Um, I personally have a few, uh, I would say reasons that I find it useful. Um, One, it, uh, just pragmatically for me at least personally it's actually kind of hard for me to talk about beliefs with other people especially when they have differing beliefs Mm -hmm. um i just find that extremely difficult um and often we'll just skip that conversation completely Uh, which is a problem because i also like having deep discussions with people and that's one of the ways that i for lack of a better term bond with people um those deep intimate conversations but when before i kind of i didn't know how to do that essentially and having seeing this these examples of people being able to do that um really has helped me so far um i also like it because or my goal is one to have those conversations and then to to be able for both sides to uh turn a critical thinking eye on their beliefs. Um, I do want to say uh, spread critical thinking. Um, And sometimes that does cause doubt, uh, but I wouldn't say that's necessarily my goal. My goal is for people to actually think about and be a bit more deliberate in their beliefs and turn a critical eye to their reasons why they believe something like Dan was saying. Um, and I thought I had a third point, but I lost it. Um, this is a very forgetful episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, 2.30 here. It's about coffee time. So. <laughs> well, let's all take notes, and I'd love to do this again. Like, we, we don't have to finish right away, but, but I think that this has opened up a lot of thought on all three of our parts of maybe some other directions that we can go in further conversations, and, and I'm sure my listeners will also have a lot of thought. So I really love this. So we can all kind of take notes of directions that we want to go and, and have a further 
further discussion. So, but so far, I, I really, really appreciate the discussion. So, so we started with you, Brian. Dan, do you want to give us your closing closing thoughts, and then we can kind of go over to Brian, and you can give some closing thoughts. Yeah, sounds great. Um, so, really, if I could give you one takeaway thing, even if you don't practice SE, even if you have some criticisms or doubts, I think that's great. I think we should always be exploring the best methods possible to communicate with each other about these kinds of things. If you're looking for ways to talk to people better, I think this is the way to do it. I think hopefully I've demonstrated that. Um, but if you don't think so, then please, by all means, discover better ways. Uh, because my goal in all this, like I said, is to have better conversations about beliefs in general. Um, I think that like these two were kind of saying, uh, and myself included, if you come from a background that doesn't necessarily allow you to have conversations like this in the first place, then it can be kind of difficult when we do want to have these conversations because we can be kind of awkward at it or we don't really have the tools necessary or the language to kind of talk about things. So I say, yeah, keep searching, keep uh, having conversations. Um, and if you want to know more about what I'm up to and what I'm doing, I'll just plug myself here, I guess. Um, again, I'm, I go as Objectively Dan uh, on Twitter. You can follow me on there. And uh, I also have the Truth Wanted show, which is also on YouTube. You can subscribe to that. Um, and there's a Facebook group for that as well that's going on October 14th, where I'm going to be talking more about this method and having other conversations with other people and stuff. Um, so definitely check that out if you want to know more. Also, check out my other podcast, The Epistemic Podcast, which you can find on YouTube or iTunes or whatever uh, you get your podcast from. Nice. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you plugged all those things because that was one thing I was going to ask you at the end is to plug where we can find you. And then another thing, Dan, that I want to ask of you is could you send me some really good like tutorial or instructional like a simple intro approach to street epistemology that I can share in the show notes with my listeners. Yeah. So um, I could send you the talk that I gave for the secular, the national secular student Alliance conference this summer in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, that's on my personal channel on objectively Dan. I could definitely send that your way. Yeah, that'd be great. Cool. Thank you. All right, Brian, what are your final thoughts? Um, so it occurred to me that we never actually defined what epistemology meant. We've been throwing out this big word <laughs> and it's not that hard of a concept. It basically epistemology is the study of how you come to your beliefs. Essentially. Did I get that right, Dan? Yeah. Yeah. The study of knowledge essentially yeah. and how we know things, I think is how I would say it. So, um, just wanted to throw that out there real quick. Um, also, um, I want to kind of reiterate, this isn't like the end-all be-all tool. It's not going to, it's not meant to deconvert everyone, although it might have tried to start out that way, to be honest. But um, <laughs> it's, it's just a way to have conversations. And honestly, if you are like with my wife, it's a way for me to start conversations, especially and eventually we probably move on and I don't ask as many questions and we kind of do more back and forth. Um, yeah. If this is your only method of communicating with anyone, it's probably not the best. Um, you probably should, uh, you know, 
talk a bit more instead of just asking questions because your friend might get a little annoyed. Um, <laughs> so yeah, just wanted to reiterate, it's not an end-all be-all tool for everything, but it is a very useful tool to have in your toolbox. Um, and so that is uh, basically how I wanted to close. Well, thank you so much, Brian. Was there, did you want to leave anything for other people to get a hold of you or? Um, you can, uh, find me on Twitter at, um, at Taper Dan Man. Um, or if that doesn't work in the search, try at Dan Taper. Twitter, when I created it, decided that was my username, even though I typed in Taper Dan Man. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so but much. But it should show up either way. Thank you so much, Brian. And thank you for being the genius behind this entire conversation. Like you get, you get all the props for that. I really, really appreciate it. And I think it went really well. And hopefully our listeners can learn a little bit. And, and I'd love to hear your feedback listeners. If this is something that you like, what are your thoughts on it? And if you do try and incorporate it into your life, like let us know how it goes. And then the three of us, let's, let's keep in contact and, and see if we can have another follow-up to you know a little bit like a uh whatever's next after 101 right <laughs> the fall. yeah for sure <laughs> well thank you so much to both of you you have a wonderful rest of your day thank you thank you and that wraps up today's topics we are so glad you stopped by be sure to join the Mormon Happy Hour on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you smiled, please drop us a five-star review wherever you found us. See you next week. Cheers! <laughs>